This episode is sponsored by Logos Bible Software. Logos Bible Software is by far my favorite and most used Bible study tool. I use it for sermon prep, personal Bible study, and it's where I've chosen to buy my books and build my theological library. In Logos, your books aren't just books. They're integrated with a host of tools that not only enhance the value of those books, but empower your study of scripture. Listeners of this podcast can get a special discount on Logos by going to Logos, that is L-O-G-O-S, Logos.com, slash partner, slash Kirk Miller, and on top of that discount, they're even going to throw in a free five books for you. Be sure to use my special discount code Kirk8, that's Kirk8 at checkout, for any purchases, that'll ensure you get the best price. Or if you're new to Logos and you're unsure, follow that web address anyways, because there's a free version that you can get. That's right, free. Again, that's logos.com slash partner slash Kirk Miller. All right, now to the podcast. Hey everybody, you are listening to the Church Theology Podcast, a podcast on the church, for the church. My name is Kirk Miller, and I am here with Dan Allen. Hey, 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 hey. I'm going to have to edit that later so it's not loud in your ears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we are the pastors. So what are you, are you just going to leave it blank? No, I'll just tell them, I'll just take the volume down a oh, notch. Okay. Actually, leaving it blank might not be bad. <laughs> <laughs> um... <laughs> And uh, we are the pastors at Crossway Community <laughs> Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and we are continuing our discussion today on translations. And I mean, one of the reasons we want to do this is there is there's value in in understanding the translations that we read. Mm-hmm. So our Bibles, unless you are reading straight out of the Greek and Hebrew, mm-hmm. um, most of us, you know, we're reading out of our our uh, native language. And these are tools that then we use regularly mm-hmm. um, in Bible study. We want to understand them so we understand mm-hmm. um, the tool that we're using. So if you're mm-hmm. using a... And like, appreciate them. Yeah, and appreciate them. Be appreciative to, of it. But like, for example, if you're uh, if you're a, um, a lumberjack, I'm like trying to think of the word. If you're mm-hmm. like a lumberjack, you want to know, you want to know about your axe, right? You mm-hmm. want to know about your chainsaw or whatever. If Dan yeah. likes softball. He wants to know about his bats so mm-hmm. he knows how to use it properly. Yeah. Or whatever the case may be, your skill, right? Mm-hmm. Your trade. Well, when it comes to reading the Bible, a translation is one of the main tools of the trade, so to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we want to know about it, know how to use it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we're going to continue our discussion on some of the reasons why we see differences mm-hmm. in translations. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to summarize kind of what we yeah. talked about before? I mean, we talked for a couple episodes of the primary category being the different philosophies or methodologies that, that translators take of trying to go from the original language, which would be the uh, Greek New Testament, Hebrew Old Testament, or portions of the uh, Old Testament and New Testament Aramaic. So going from the original language into the receptor language, whether that be English or Spanish, German, whatever it is that we're translating into, um, how much they're going to uh, modify the original language in order to make it clear to the receptor language what's being said. Mm-hmm. And so there's different method- methodologies on that. Should I only modify that as much as the receptor language can understand it? Now they have to interpret it. Or do I do a lot of the work for them and give them a, a total package that they understand the sense of it, the tone, and do some of the translation work for the, the receptor language. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the terms we've been using is uh, formal equivalency. I mean, these are 
widely used terms. Formal equivalency would be uh, like more of a word-for-word -word translation uh, versus uh, functional uh, equivalency or dynamic equivalency, which is more thought-for-thought. -thought. Now, all translations do both, but there's kind of a primary leaning towards... You lean a little bit more one way or the other. One, yeah. You land on the scale. So that's the primary reason why we see differences. Yeah between translations because generally speaking uh like some of the stuff we'll talk about today um like one of the main things we'll talk about and for the other reason is is textual differences mm -hmm. what we mean by that textual differences let's let's take a step back mm -hmm. um so first of all we gotta start with the understanding that the bible's not written written in english right mm -hmm. it's written in greek and hebrew um and we don't have the original like manuscript the original piece of writing for example when paul wrote to the romans we don't have mm -hmm. that original writing right. but what we have are copies of it yeah. and copies and copies mm -hmm. and such um and we have a ton mm -hmm. of copies mm -hmm. like that's one of the things that is really cool when you study this um yeah. this area this area is called textual criticism right. um it doesn't mean you're criticizing the bible that's not what it means it's like a critical analyzing of the text is what that means yeah. okay when you study this area of textual criticism though which is not just only to the Bible. It's, it's a it's something a study that, yeah, yeah. of ancient texts. Yeah, it's, there's, you can do text criticism on other ancient texts yes. in a similar way. Yeah. To, find, to deter, try to determine. Text criticism is sort of this discipline, this mm -hmm. academic scholarly activity, and this discipline of determining um, through different methodology and, and manuscript evidence mm -hmm. what was the original yeah. um, words and writing of a document. Mm -hmm. And so in the, with, when it comes to the Bible, which is really neat, is there are thousands yeah. of manuscripts mm -hmm. that we have for like the New Testament, for example. Yeah. And like it blows away like the other like other historical documents yeah. we have, like the amount of, of manuscripts that we have for the New Testament, it just blows yeah, everything else close. out of the yeah. water. Not yeah. even close. Um, and that's obviously mm -hmm. one of the reasons is because the Bible was very valued. And so yeah. people were people were making copies of mm -hmm. it. People wanted copies of yeah. it. And monks were sort of um, sanctioned to make copies of it. So, anyways. What, what, what text criticism does then is it says, okay, let's find those manuscripts, let's get them together, and let's compare them. Because inevitably, when you're making copies of something, mm -hmm. occasionally um, some mistakes will get made, yeah. and some, some differences then will arise. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, you might have and a, a verse that, I'm just going to make something up, the verse yeah. says, and he spoke to him, where another manuscript might say, and he spoke to them so mm -hmm. the difference between a one person or a mm -hmm. group of people you know a minor difference and most most of the differences are minor yeah. but you have to make a decision then yeah. which one is more um accurate mm -hmm. which one is probably the original that's that's sort of the discipline mm -hmm. of text criticism um and they use two different feel free to chip in if you have yeah, anything but it. they use there's there's sort of two main reasons um or two main uh things that text criticism is wrestling with on the one hand it's simply the manuscript evidence of, mm -hmm. of gathering the manuscripts. And this is what is called um, the external evidence. The idea of um, when I come, say I'm, in, say I'm in the Gospel of John, and there's some issue about what the, what the original text is. The external evidence is simply all the manuscripts outside of the Bible that I have. Mm -hmm. All these manuscripts of the Bible, these external manuscripts. And the plethora of different readings out there. And mm -hmm. maybe one reading has a bunch of manuscripts that support it. And maybe another reading only has a couple or maybe mm -hmm. even just one manuscript. Mm -hmm. So it seems that it's clearly just a mistake over there. That's the external evidence. The other way they go about determining these things is the internal evidence. The internal evidence is what are things in the actual text itself 
um, that would seem to indicate that something is a more accurate reading. So, for example, if something is a much more difficult reading, unless it's absolutely ludicrous, but if something's a more difficult reading, oftentimes that indicates that that may be the right one. Because mm-hmm. if you were going to change something, like say a monk wanted to smooth something out, they're going to make it more, easier they're making make it easier. Not they're going to make it fit. They're yeah. not going to make it harder, most likely. So that might be an example of like internal evidence that text critics would use to determine the original um, reading of a passage. So that's a discipline of text criticism, mm-hmm. working with the external mm-hmm. manuscripts as well as internal sort mm-hmm. of logic yeah. and philosophy to try to determine what is the mm-hmm. original. Um, the original reading of of, of mm-hmm. what we have in the New Testament Greek and the Old Testament mm-hmm. Hebrew and Aramaic. Yeah. Would you I, add I, anything? One, Go ahead. I, one more thing to the external one. Part of this discussion could be, let's just throw out a number. Let's say 5,000 manuscripts yep. of the New Testament, right? Which is, it, that's um, about what roughly, it is. Roughly, yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I guess the, the following numbers I'm going to use are, are a little bit more arbitrary. Okay, you're just so, making stuff up. Now. Okay, got it. Let's say there's, there's 5,000 copies, um, you know, well, I'm trying to think. I should have thought of the example before I go after it. Um, what I'm what I'm trying to say, <laughs> I'll help you out. <laughs> is there might be there might actually be a majority of those. Yeah, 5, I'll get to this. Yeah, yeah. That have a co- that, that stated this way. Yeah. Um, he spoke to them or whatever. Yeah. And in the minority is he spoke to them. Or to him. Yep. So there's a difference there. It might not actually be the majority, and it might not be because they're smoothing it out or something like that. It might be because when you look at it, you're like, oh, well, all those copies come from the exact same region. Yes, exactly. And yeah. maybe something in when it when that when the first time that went into that region, it had gotten changed yep. and now forever afterwards. Yeah. Yep. Which actually gives good evidence again for like people are careful when they're doing translation work. Yeah. Right. Or or copy work, the copyists. Yep. Um, but nonetheless, that could have gotten in that in that moment when it moved over. Yeah. So it actually could, in that case, be the minority that is is, is correct. probably yeah. the best. So choice. actually, that, and that was yeah. something I wanted to touch on was yeah. So we have we generally have like three schools of of uh, or three um, categories of manuscripts. Yeah. There's the I think the one is called the Western text. It's the, there's one that's a little bit more obscure, and I may not be remembering the name correctly. But outside of that, you have the Byzant- uh, Byzantine mm-hmm. or Byzantine. Mm-hmm. I never know how to pronounce that. And then you have <laughs> the Al- really fast. Yeah. <laughs> but otherwise, you have the uh, the Alexandrian. I know how to pronounce that one. <laughs> so the Al- so the ma- oftentimes what Dan is saying. I, I, let me try to like restate it yeah. to you in case I was um, in case it was difficult to follow. <laughs> in case I remember this. <laughs> the idea is like sometimes you might think, well, look at all the um, external manuscripts. Yeah, and whichever one has the if there's a difference, so these differences are what we call variants when things vary. Okay, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. him versus they, we gave that example. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a variant. Now we have any time mm-hmm. there is. Any difference in any of the manuscripts, that's a variant, even mm-hmm. if it was just one manuscript. Yep. Now there's a variant. Mm-hmm. And you might say, well, the best philosophy would be to say, well, how many times does they show up and mm-hmm. how many times does him show up? Yeah. And whichever Majority one has wins. more, yep. yep, whichever one has more, that mm-hmm. must be the right mm-hmm. one. That's not necessarily mm-hmm. the best, the mm-hmm. best route to take. Most scholars would actually say that's not, that you shouldn't give that mm-hmm. a lot of weight. Why? Because as you said, say a variant occurred early on. Mm-hmm. And let's say, let's say the original reading was him. Mm-hmm. But let's say at some point it got changed to they, whether by accident or on purpose. Sometimes it changes. There's a whole catalog of different types of yeah. changes, some on purpose, some on accident. 
We won't get into that. But let's say it got changed to they. And then it went to a region. And now all the manuscripts in that region I got based off of the one that got changed. Mm -hmm. And that Mm -hmm. copy got made way more than anyone else. So there's actually a bunch of copies that are have the incorrect reading. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's – the other thing you want to take into consideration with external evidence is not just how much something shows up, but where is it from? Were they good? Did they do a really, do we know that they did a really good job in that area? Um, how old is that manuscript? Mm-hmm. If it's a manuscript mm-hmm. from the Middle Ages, well, that's a lot farther down the line and it could possibly have a lot mm-hmm. more changes in it versus if we find something from one of the earliest centuries, um, that's probably going to be a lot more valuable. And if we know that that manuscript has proven valuable elsewhere, then we know it's probably mm-hmm. valuable here as well. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we find is in the uh, Byzantine um, manuscript tradition, which is sometimes we call that like the majority text. That's because that textual tradition was largely, that that tradition was produced at mass. There's tons of those manuscripts, but a lot of that comes from the Middle Ages. And generally speaking, most scholars would say that those are less, they're they're not to be as preferred as the Alexandrian tradition, um, which we have less of. So it's normally not in the majority, um, but they're older translations or older manuscripts, I mean. So they go back to the closer to the original mm-hmm. and they're more reliable. Now, this gets us, you might say, wow, this is really technical and really nerdy. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is. Now, why does this matter for translations? Um, most scholars today would um, probably prioritize some of the internal evidence and would prioritize the Alexandrian text tradition and some of those older translations or older manuscripts. Um, and so translations like the ESV. Are you saying that's a shift from the, the philosophy that they used to keep long ago? Or is it because new scholarship has come in? Like there's new, there's more manuscripts now right. than there was before. Yeah. Or so, is, okay. yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of saying, I'm not entirely sure if there's a shift that occurred. Okay. I don't think I know that. Okay. But to your point, um, we, so let's, let's, yeah, let me take a step back. We have since, um, like the Reformation time period when English translations were being produced mm-hmm. and such, we have found a whole bunch more translation, right. man, yeah. or I keep saying translations. We have found a whole bunch more manuscripts yeah. than we originally had. Mm-hmm. And with those additional manuscripts, that means our text critics and scholars, mm-hmm. they have much more available yeah, to them. A lot more data to learn from. A lot more, We can yep. make more informed decisions. Yeah. And so we're constantly improving yeah. our understanding of the original text. Mm-hmm. And so even today, more and more, you get revisions of, of different text, textual basis. Yeah. But most scholars today then, as we've learned of more manuscripts, they would favor the ones that we find in the Alexandrian school because they tend to be older and more reliable mm-hmm. and not necessarily mm-hmm. readings that are the majority at times that are found in more of the Byzantine, um, medieval majority text. Now there are differences, some in, in, in opinion, some scholars, would hold to a more majority text opinion and say whatever is a majority, that's what they want to go with. But most scholars mm-hmm. would say, let's go with the best quality mm-hmm. manuscripts, mm-hmm. not the best quantity of yeah. manuscripts. That can make a difference in translations. Um, all Pretty much all the modern translations that you would be using today, so the ESV, um, the CSB, I imagine, the NIV, the NLT, etc., mm-hmm. they're going to be going off of that the newer manuscripts that we have, mm-hmm. they're going to be going off of that newer, um, more refined scholarly. Newer, not necessarily mean newer historically, but chronologically, I mean. Yeah. They might actually be older texts, but newer that other translators found years ago yes. did not have available to yeah. them. Yeah, newer yes. that we found. So they're yes. old, but they're new to us. Yeah, they're so older, newer. Yes, sorry. 
Um, and then, so these newer manuscripts that we found that are actually older, good clarification. Um, and then also more refined, um, work in terms of the philosophy that we're using. This can make a big yeah. difference when it yep. comes to the King James, for yes. example. So the King mm-hmm. James had, when that was written, it was a great translation for its time. Um, I mean, really actually outstanding for mm-hmm. its time, mm-hmm. but it had less manuscripts available to it. Mm-hmm. And it was more based on a majority text philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it was more based on what was called the Textus Receptus, mm-hmm. which was more of a majority text mm-hmm. um, idea. And so anyways, all that to say, when you are reading your Bible and if you're comparing it, um, some sometimes the differences of translation that you see could be not just that they have a difference of opinion of how to translate mm-hmm. what is in the mm-hmm. Greek and Hebrew, but they may actually be translating different Greek and Hebrew. Right. Yeah. It may actually be a difference of they actually think the textual basis is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and this can be, this can be even more the case, like I said, when it comes to the King James, mm-hmm. which is yeah. actually using a very much different mm-hmm. textual yeah. base. And you might even say at times the say, in the King James, they're translating something that when they're using, uh, like when the ESV is translating, there isn't a verse to translate. Right. So sometimes you'll find if you read in the King James, mm-hmm. you'll get verses, you'll get verse 31, 32, 33, and then you go to the ESV and there's no 30, 32 or something. Yes. Um, and you're like, whoa, did the ESV take that verse out? Mm-hmm. Well, is it that the ESV took it out? Or is it that we found that 32 was added yeah. and that the King James, the manuscripts that the King James had would mm-hmm. have indicated to them that that was an original verse. But yeah. since then, we've discovered that's probably not original. Mm-hmm. So maybe the ESVs put yeah. it in the footnotes. Yeah. Or Which going like back to the earlier illustration you used about like a monk, say, he's doing the copyist, copyist work and realizing maybe like, oh, if I just say that, it might not make enough sense. So perhaps I write this in and that will clarify or something like that. Yeah. That could have been what happened. Yeah. And now, now anybody that takes that work and copies it, it, it now is like forever in all these groups. Yeah. When it wasn't there in the original. And it may not been like, it, it may not been that a monk did it intentionally. It may right. have been he True. added a yes. note on the side. Good point. As yeah. like to yeah. clarify, but someone when they came across that later was like, wait, is that a verse? Yes. And they yeah. added in. Yeah. And there's different explanations yeah. for how we get these differences. <clears throat> yeah. But anyways, that's one of the differences you have to be aware of with the King James. I may have overstated it before, like totally different text type, not totally different. Yeah. Obviously, they're very similar. Mm-hmm. But some of the differences that we have mm-hmm. is because we found new manuscripts that are older. Mm-hmm. Um, we've newly discovered old manuscripts. That's mm-hmm. the best way of saying it. Yeah. And we have more access, more informed decisions. Yeah. And our, our modern translations have, by most scholarly standpoints and by our own opinion, our modern translations have a better textual basis than the King James, which yeah. is one reason why we would prefer the modern translations over the King James. Mm-hmm. Not that the King James was bad or is bad. Right. It was certainly good in its time, but we've obviously have, we've had improved scholarship since then. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, so just, I'm going to sum up some of the things, what you said, just Go so we understand why, why this point can be helpful, especially probably as you're trying, you may be having discussion with, with people who maybe, um, really love the King James yep. and, and want to say that it's the text that we should always be using. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- this is where some of the reasoning can can help, I guess yeah, I would say. to understand um, what's behind it. Yeah. Yeah. Then I had one other reason in my mind that I can't remember. Another way that this this information that, that you're, you're talking about can be helpful is like when you are reading along and you see that, oh, there's 29, 30, 
32. It's, it's not there. Um, we can, if we don't know this information, you can get a little bit nervous. Like who took the uh, yeah. verse out? But the fact is when the verses were put in, that was what the translation, the, the, the translations that were being used had that in there. Yeah. And now since the newer scholarship, have discovered yeah. manuscripts yes. that would indicate and you, it's and you're not, not going to go through and erase all the numbers and restart. It's right. just that they, yeah, because the numbers in. weren't original. The numbers yes. were added, right. and the numbers were added after yes. they were using those yeah. um, verses that we have yeah. now discovered are probably yeah. not original. And I'm, and I'm, I'm, um, I guess, I guess when I've had the discussion on the King James, like controversy. Uh, or, or whatever you would call it with people. Because some uh, people want to say that's the one we should use. Yeah. yeah. And so oftentimes they'll go to like say Revelation and they'll say, look, God says that if anyone takes away from the words of this book, I will take away his share from the tree of life. So that can feel heavy, but I'm glad the way you said it. It also says the reverse. Anyone if anyone adds, adds yeah. to the words of this book. Um, so yeah, it's not something we should take lightly. Um, it could be just as dangerous to if if the King James had it off that words were inserted. Yeah. Um, but one one way we could just try to calm any if, if, if anybody's listening that just kind of makes them nervous is primarily we're we're not talking about anything major theological like yeah, yeah whoa yeah. this 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 is a Christian reading and a non Christian reading like yeah most of these are minor details yeah um you know most of the, most. Most, yeah, let's clarify that. Most variants are quite obvious which ones are correct and which ones yeah, are incorrect. Yeah. Most variants, even when we're not entirely sure and there's some debate, are not significant. Yes. They're like yeah. differences between ought and the type yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, or he versus they, where it's like, okay, slight difference, maybe not the biggest deal in the world. Um, and then even where there are differences that do matter, because there are some of those, um, mm-hmm. That not, it's not going to sort of like if if depending on if you go one way or the other, all of a sudden a whole Christian belief collapses. Yeah, right. There are, are there There's are there are other parts of scripture yeah. that support these doctrines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it can it can sound it's good to say like mm-hmm. if you're familiar with this, you kind of get used to like oh yeah, this stuff is normal or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if you're new to this, it could kind of sound like whoa. Yeah, yeah. And and, yeah. and if anything, when you study this, you it normally bolsters your faith because yeah. you see how much but the Bible is actually supported. Yeah. How of an, how much of a an accurate ancient yeah. document we have. Yeah. And how, yeah. How serious over the years this has been taken. Yeah. How much labor has gone, gone on. I, yeah, I agree. It really gives you a deeper confidence in the scriptures that we have. Yeah. And so anything good. else you, I know I kind of like tried to no, spit it all out. There's a yeah. lot there. Hopefully that made sense. Yeah. No, I think it's good. I, it's the sort of topic where if you want to understand this, you kind of have to listen. You probably, you know, probably want to give this a couple listens. Yeah. Cause it kind of, you kind of, I don't know. It just takes a while to kind of really grasp it. Unless you're like super smart. Yeah. Which I'm not. <laughs> Why are you laughing? You're joking, right? <laughs> but anyway, so I try, I, hopefully I explained that well. It is a little bit, I wouldn't say this is probably either of our expertise. Yeah. Yeah. But trying yeah. to give you a lay of the land mm-hmm. there on the gist of it is differences in translations can be a result of different yeah. texts and not just the actual translation, but yep. the text behind the translation. Yep. Let's move into some, let's throw out some other like yeah. minor, um, of uh, some other differences yeah, in yeah. miscellaneous yeah. category. Yeah. So one would be this. This is kind of a fun one. I, I don't know how often this happens, but even punctuation, uh, you know, so there wasn't punctuation in the original. Uh, so you know, translators are putting that in, and, and there can be disagreement on some 
some things where, where punctuation should show up. I'll give you an example, but first let me give you, uh, this is a Lynn Truss wrote a book called uh, Eats, Shoots, and Leaves, Why Commas Really Do Make a Difference. Okay. Uh, so there's a little example that she uses uh, about a pan. I think there's a joke about this too, about a panda, panda going into a, a, a pub or something. Okay. Um, anyhow, the one I have here is just a little cartoon of a panda that the, the header says eats, shoots, and leaves. And it's a picture of a panda eating some bamboo, eats, shoots, and shoots leaves. And leaves. Okay. Now, if you put a comma after the word eats, you get a different reading. The panda walks into the pub, he eats, he shoots, and he leaves. <laughs> and then he leaves. Yeah. yeah. So just the comma itself just like changes the whole meaning of the, of the passage. So rather than it's eating, not, shoots, he's not and eating leaves, shoots, and leaves, he eats, he eats, then he shoots, and then he leaves. Yeah. All because of a comma. All because of a comma. Let me give another one. This is All what right. I think of. <laughs> All right. um, grandma, or oh, no, no, it goes this way. Let's eat grandma. <laughs> okay. okay. I tried to give yeah, like a, yeah, I tried yeah. to give a pause where you could hear it yeah, either yeah. way. But on the one hand, you put a comma, you say, let's eat grandma. Yeah. And what am I doing? I am, it's a, it's a direct address. I am inviting yeah. my grandmother to eat. Yeah. Versus if there's no comma, let's eat grandma. I have become a, I'm inviting people to cannibalism. Um, yeah. So commas make a difference. Yes, they do. Yeah. So let me give you an example from the scriptures. Uh, this, uh, of this, cannibalism? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, Psalm 121 verse 1. Uh, the King James Version uh, uses uh, a comma and then a period to say, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, comma, from whence cometh my help. So how would you understand that? I will lift up my eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. It gives the picture of I'm looking up to the hills. Is there a question mark no, at the end no, of that? No, no question mark. It's a period. The hill is where my help is coming yes. from. So it's looking up to the hill and that that's where my help is coming. Yep. Yep. Okay. Agreed. ESV says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills, period. From where does my help come? Question mark. Yeah. So I will lift my eyes up to the hills. Where does my help come from? You're off, you're off to wonder. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you're looking for the hill up to the hills, not... I don't know. I, I have, it's been a while since I yeah. read the context, but maybe it's not like I'm looking to the hills for my hope, but maybe, or maybe there's an enemy coming over the hill. I'm yeah, not sure. it could be like scary. I'm like, yeah. where am I going to get help? Yeah, exactly. My help comes from the Lord. Yeah. So the King James is like, from there comes my help. My, um, my help comes from the Lord. It's almost as if the Lord is up on the hills. Yeah, like Aragorn coming over the hill yeah. to save the day. Yeah. Where it's the other reading is something else is perhaps is bringing destruction. Hell, yeah. Where am I going to get help? It's got, it's got, my help. Yeah. So not, nonetheless, just punctuation can give uh, variant readings. Yeah. I would say there's also some like just minor differences too. Like sometimes there's differences that really are, it's just a choice. Like for mm -hmm. example, the NASB mm -hmm. in Genesis 1-2 says the earth was formless and the ESV says without form. Mm -hmm. So you just, I mean, you have yeah. differences yeah. like that that are just like, those mean exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's just a mm -hmm. choice of how you want to yeah. say it. Yeah. Um, do you have any other things on differences? Mm -hmm. should, right. we, should we say one final word on uh, um, gender inclusivity and that difference? No. You sure. I, I, we, I don't think you and I have ever talked about yeah. this. So you you tell me your take on – because some of the well, – let me introduce this. Some of the differences yeah. in translations are over like whether you use gender inclusive language. Yeah. So, for example, at the beginning of an epistle sometimes – or a letter in the New Testament, sometimes it will say something like, I write to the brothers or brothers. Mm -hmm. Now, in the Greek, it's 
it is literally masculine, mm-hmm. so it would be brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a prior, we're sort of in a transition period in America in terms of our society on this. But like when I grew up, they taught us, you would say brothers, that's what you should say. You put it in the masculine and it's understood that it can refer to uh, feminine mm-hmm. individuals yeah. as well. But now our culture is sort of shifting, whereas if I say brothers people will start to hear that as just men and not mm, women. Mm. And so some translations, because of that, they will actually translate it men and women, even mm. though in the Greek it doesn't say women. Mm. But in order to get more of the sense, a little mm. bit more of the dynamic or functional side, they might say something like men and women. Mm-hmm. That's that's an example. There's other examples yeah. of like gender inclusive, but that's what they mean, to translate it in yeah. a way that includes both genders when they see both genders as probably in view in the original context, yeah. even if it's not in, even if the, that gender is not in the grammar mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. in the vocab. Yeah. Yeah. You want to know my opinion on it? You're saying? Yeah. I mean, yeah, would yeah. you say yeah. that's a, that's a reason for the difference. I mean, do you have a comment on it? Um, I do. I mean, it's not super intelligible, I guess right now. You don't I've have to give it. a comment. So I guess the simple way I would say is uh, a little bit from uh, David or Dave Brun's book. He's got a book called one Bible, many versions. Okay. Um, in, in fact, in chapter nine, he spends the time showing that all, all translations do some of this. To a degree, so, yeah. So I only throw that out there just to say that no translation totally stays away from gender neutrality. Right. Yeah. Would that be like things like saying, like in translating man as humanity or something like that? Um, it could be, I, I don't know. Okay. I just know that he spends time on it. Okay. Um, so I say that in sense, like I, I wouldn't want to overstate something as if only, you know, one translation does it really bad. But some translations might do it more. Yeah. And there could be a time. I don't have any. If you, I don't have I'd have to look at it before yeah. me. But um, if it were going to go to places where God, like we're afraid to refer to God as a mask, as masculine. Yeah. Like that is the way God presents himself. Father, the father. The son. The yeah. son. You know. And so if we're going to try to smooth that out so that because we're afraid of people thinking of God as it's not put father in the correct or son yeah or in the son then then I would say that I think that's mm-hmm. signature far. but things like if we were to say uh, and use mankind instead of man yeah I, I'm not gonna you know yeah. I'm not gonna get upset about that or brothers or brothers is now brothers and sisters, and sisters. Yeah. I, I'd be okay with that yeah I understand that as a difference between the dynamic versus formal like if yeah. you want to be formal you mm-hmm. might say brothers if you want to be dynamic, you might say brothers and mm-hmm. sisters. I don't get too hung up on it either. I know some people, some for some people, it's a they see it as very problematic. Now there are some translations that have a little bit more of have a bit more of like a liber, theologically liberal bent, where they they may do things at times with the gender that I'm going to disagree with. Yeah, um, I don't have any examples off the top of my head. I've no, I've, I know I've seen them. Um, and I know there are cases where if you do go gender inclusive, mm-hmm. it can change things quite dramatically for theology. Mm-hmm. So you have to be mm-hmm. careful of it. But on, on the whole, there's a lot of times where yeah. it's when you're where it's totally it seems totally fine and it's just helping get the sense. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's it's it it comes down to if the language starts to change, mm-hmm. like with the King James. The King James um, was cha- was translating into a language that's. Um, like it's quite in many ways, it's English, but it's quite different than the English we speak today. Mm-hmm. And so, even though it's a translation of English, it's a translation of an older style of English. Mm-hmm. And so, as English changes, the translations need to translate into the contemporary, current form of English. 
Um, and if our language starts to, to adapt where we expect people to say men and women, and if you just say men, mm-hmm. it's sort of perceived that you only mean males, mm-hmm. well, then your translation needs to reflect that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, it's not a, it's not an open door for all gender inclusive yeah. because I'm sure there are points where you have to be careful yeah. with it. Mm-hmm. I guess there would be other, I, again, I don't, I don't have the examples before me, so I don't know if they do this or not, but if there are places where like, say in, uh, what would this be? Where, uh, in Titus, where, where Paul speaks specifically, uh, older women yeah. do this. You just said like older folks. Young men do this. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like that to me, like, uh, it seems like he probably is calling out specific things that I don't know if that's universal. All men may struggle with this yeah. or the men in that culture were at that time, whatever it is. Yeah. To me, I think I wouldn't change that. I would, yeah. I would leave that as yeah. it is, as well as like I'm not. I'm not assuming they would change. Like husbands love your wives, to, to so spouse, just like love your spouse. Love your spouse but, yeah. but if they did start doing that, then yeah. I would say, oh, I, I, I think we should yeah. keep that reserve or preserve that. Preserve, yeah, reserve it. <laughs> no, I hear that, and I think yeah. that's what I think. This issue of gender inclusivity does raise some of those questions where it's like, well, how far are you going to go yeah. with it? Yeah, and I think I would be. I'm open to the. I'm open to the in principle the idea of being of the gender inclusive language, but I would have reservations for this, those sort of passages as well, mm-hmm. where once you open that door, you have to be, now you got to start making decisions about when right. it's appropriate. Yeah. And there's a whole nother philosophy now of trying to determine, um, you know, is this, is this intended to be gender yeah. specific mm-hmm. or is it? And so therefore, if you make it inclusive, you actually are changing the meaning. Yeah. So a gender inclusive version that was was that the T N I V that there's came out one of the N I V S that did the N R S V is the more okay. and the N R S V has a little bit more of a is a little more used by mainline and more okay. liberal denominations. What is am I right? There was a T N I V. There is an N I V. Is that still out anymore? Um, I'm not sure. I, I think it is a T N I V that, that that was that way. I'm pretty sure that N L T is gender inclusive though too. Um, it was today's new international version. Published in 2002. Um, let's see. <laughs> this is called Dead Air, Kirk. Dead Air. <laughs> it's okay. Um, we'll just keep humming. <laughs> I've just... I can't... For some reason yeah, yeah. Thought... NLT says brothers and sisters in like Colossians, okay. for example. Um, for some reason... So the NL- oh, NIV says... The NIV that I have in my ESV, at least, or in my Logos... My ESV. The NIV I have in my Logos uses brothers and sisters, whichever um, edition this one is. And this one is 2011. So, yeah. So, hmm. anyways, um, we're not sure. <laughs> but uh, if you want to Google it, let us know. All right. So, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll call that one. Uh, we'll call it quits for today. And we will come back. Uh, with okay. probably one Actually, more. I just did Go find a quote. It. So Go this is it. from the Zondervan president. Okay. I don't know what year, but this is after the TNIV. Um, it, I guess he said, whatever its strengths were, the TNIV divided the evangelical Christian community. So as we launch this new NIV, so whenever revision was to be done, we will discontinue putting our new products with the TNIV. Okay. Yeah, I haven't kept up on it too much, but, apparently, but I, I knew. I yeah, I knew there was, was controversy the around the NIV. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow, all right. Well, on that note, <laughs> we will uh, <laughs> we'll close up today, and we will continue next time, probably with one more episode on common misconceptions about translations, as well as ways that we can be sure to use translations in our study of scripture. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Till then. Mm-hmm.